0: Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. We're glad to see you in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Y'all are too quiet this morning. Stand back up. Amen. Give Jesus a praise like he would actually hear it. Come on. Bless the Lord. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to do like David did. He said, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul and all that is within me. That was David talking to his soul out of his spirit. Sometimes your soul, that's your mind, will, and your emotions don't feel like it. But this ain't a feeling religion, right? But we have a God that we can feel. We're thankful for that. But we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. Amen. I want to pick up where we, or I, left off last Sunday, we talked about understanding the difference of grace, the difference that grace makes in our lives, and uh, I guess we're just probably calling this part two or something, uh, but I want to just pick up from there, and I know some of you have heard me make some of these statements. I hope to make them maybe in a different way. How many knows truth? We don't get it just because we're here at one time. The New Testament over and over, Paul And all the apostles said, I say this unto you again. I remind you of this. And we need to hear the word of God. We need to hear the message of grace. Just remember that grace is not a teaching. It's not a subject of the Bible. It is the subject of the Bible. It is not something you study for a few weeks and move on to something else. Grace is still supposed to be amazing grace to us. I remember... In the church, and this is no offense to them, but I grew up in, and over two decades of preaching, I never heard one message on the grace of God. Not one in over two decades. When I did hear the word grace mentioned in the church that I was raised in, it was always mentioned in a negative connotation. Greasy grace, cheap grace, that kind of thing. And uh, we sung amazing grace at that church almost every Sunday in one form or another. But I remember being around people that did not seem to be amazed by grace at all. And it made me grow up thinking that grace was some kind of negative thing, some kind of of get-out-of-jail-free card is how some people looked at it. But that's not what grace is. Grace is the revelation of God's absolute acceptance of you based on your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, in the work of the cross in our lives. Amen? And so I want to talk to you about that today. I want us to look just at one verse, or two verses, rather, to start off in Luke chapter 5. This is kind of where I feel like I left off last Sunday. And this is the story, the, the event of the man in the Bible that, remember, he was paralyzed. And he, he was on a cot, and these guys brought him to Jesus. They could not get into the, to the building, house, where Jesus was preaching. And so they chose not to give up. Sometimes you got to tear the roof off. They climbed up on top, carried and lifted a man on a stretcher, tore the roof apart. How many knows it had to be at least, you know, what, six foot by three foot? whole, uh, I guess they repaired or paid for the repair, and they lowered this man down in the middle of the meeting. How many knows this really happened? And uh, Jesus says in verse twenty, when he saw their faith, he's talking about those guys that brought this man to Jesus. Their faith. You know, you can see faith, or at least you can see the evidence of faith. It says, when he saw their faith, he said to the to him. Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? That's a good question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? God only. God's the only one that can forgive sins, but God was standing in front of them. Jesus was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And so he was the forgiver of sin, and that's what I want to talk to you about today and just kind of pick it up from there. Amen? You say amen to God's word? You be seated. Let me just stay, and I know some of you have heard this. This is brand new for some of you, especially those, maybe some on Facebook listening. Uh, I told you last Sunday, and I won't go over what I did. If you missed that, please you know, go online uh, and, and listen to our message. We put it up in several ways. It's on Facebook. It's on our website. And uh, you can you can get it, um, but sin is not the issue any longer with God as an obstacle to people uh, being saved, and the Bible confirms that. Now the church that most of us are around today in America still makes sin the big issue, and I'm not saying God wants you to sin, just sin, you know, like you know, crazy and all that kind of deal. That's not got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I'm just saying the issue with God is not sin because Jesus took away the sin of the world. The issue with God is now life and death. Um, the, I, I said to you last week, it was not that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and needed forgiveness. It was that they died in the garden and they needed life. Uh, this, did forgiveness come? Yes. How does God forgive? By the shedding of blood. When's the last time God, Jesus, shed his blood? It was 2,000 years ago on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is what? No remission, no removal, no forgiveness of sin. And so that's how God removed sin. He removed not only the sin of those who would accept and believe in him, he removed the sin of the entire world. Bible says in 1 John that Jesus was the propitiation, that means the mercy seat. He was the acceptable sacrifice, not only for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Now, you either believe that or you don't, but sin is not the issue. Now, you go into an average church and people, you know, if you ask somebody or you go up front to get saved or, you you know, you say, I'm going to accept Christ, first thing they're going to say is bow your head, close your eyes, confess your sin. You say, I'm a, you know, and, they, and, and, the, and their launch, launching point is the word sin. Confess your sins. Confess your sins. That's how you get saved. That's not how the Bible gets people saved. And by the fact that the Bible gets them saved differently is proof from the Bible that sin is not the issue. So Romans 10 is the New Testament book that tells us very clearly and distinctively how to be born again says in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Notice that the word confession is here, but the word, uh, the word sin is absent. The word sin does not appear in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. This is the chapter that tells you how to get saved. Apparently God must have had a brain fade and left it out. No way. It's not mentioned. Why is it not mentioned? Because it's not the issue. If you confess with your mouth, what? Your sins? No. You confess the Lord Jesus. And believe where? In your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Notice there was no mention of sin, yet the person is pronounced saved. What caused them to be saved? Confessing their sins? No. Confessing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Right? Next verse. For with the heart one believes unto what? righteousness righteousness means right standing righteousness what getting saved does is it put you it it places you in right relationship with God you don't have to get right with God you've been made right with God and what made you right with God was not your effort your straining your trying what 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 made you right with God was putting your faith in his sacrifice of his son what keeps you right with God It's what birthed you in, the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. So with the heart one believes unto what? Righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So here we see the word confession being used. This is what the difference is with the grace message and what the average church teaches because when when the people that go to in, in that situation, when they hear the word confess, come on now, your average Christian, as soon as they hear the word confession or confess, what do they think of? Sin. The word confession, translated here, confession or confess, is a Greek word. I've told you this over and over. Some haven't heard it. You need to hear it. It's homeologos. Homeologos is the word. Homo means same kind. Right? Homo logos, Logos is the word of God. So God is literally saying with this word confess, I want you to confess and agree with my word. And I want you to use your mouth to confess what I say. Confess what? Confess your sin. No, confess Jesus. Confess him as your Savior. Confess, Je- confess your righteousness is not based on your works, it's based on his works. Confess that. But what do we do when we blow it? All we do is wallow in our sin. We confess our sin, we wallow in our sin, and we make sin more powerful than the, than the blood of Jesus. So you, that's, this is the issue. The issue is life. You understand that we were born dead. We were DOA on arrival. You understand? The Bible says that in the New Testament. Dead. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Okay? Uh, the, sin cannot be the issue because Romans 10 doesn't even mention the word. And then if you want, you know, you want one of those Christians, you need more proof. By the mouth of two or three witnesses. All right, let's get another witness out of the Bible, out of the New Testament in Acts chapter 16. Paul has been thrown into jail. We won't go through all the story, but God has divinely intervened. The jailer assumes that they have all the prisoners have escaped. He's about to commit suicide. Paul says, do yourself no harm. But it was dark. They couldn't see one another. But we're all still here. This man, having observed the power of God, says to this apostle, the apostle Paul, he says, What must I do in verse 30? Sir, what must I do to be saved? Now, we got somebody in the Bible asking a great apostle how to get saved. The apostle Paul told him, Bow your head, repeat after me the sinner's prayer. Is that what he did? That's what they do for you in church, though. There is no sinner's prayer, it's not in the Bible. Y'all just think on that while I get a drink. There's so much stuff that we think is in the Bible that's not in the Bible. It's not in there. This great apostle apparently didn't know how to get people saved because he did it different than we do it. He never mentioned sin to him. All he said to this man in the response to that question, Sir, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then he even throwed in an extra and your household. Oh, y'all gonna get saved. <laughs> That's all he said. You see how simple that is? You see how simple it is to get people born again? Don't talk to them about their sin. God's already taken care of that. They're already forgiven. Their issue is not what they've been doing. Their issue is in what they are believing. If they would but believe upon, not that he exists as some figure, but to believe upon the Lord Jesus. Put your faith upon the Lord. See, faith, don't ever get faith in front of grace because you are saved by grace through faith. Our faith is just a response to God's grace. Amen? Amen? Man, this is good preaching. This will set you free, man, from religion. And so this, sin's not the issue. The Bible proves it. He doesn't even mention the word sin. Now, you've got to realize this. You've got to realize, and this is, this is new information. This is a big difference in the grace message. You have to realize where your sin identity originated from. Now, I know some of you know this question, and if you do, don't answer it. Let some of the other people play. How many sins do you have to commit to be called a sinner? I told you let up. people play. <laughs> what did you say? Zero. Y'all have been taught well. See, most people, if you ask them, how many sins do you have to commit to be called a sinner? They say, one. One, the answer is that many, zero. You are never, you, listen, you have never been called a sinner because of a sin that you did. The Bible, you were born in sin, conceived in sin, and you, you, your sin identity did not originate with you. Your sin identity came from another man. His name was Adam. And he was disobedient. And by his disobedience, you were made, born a sinner. So the reason you have sinned all your life is because sinners sin, fishermen fish, hunters hunt. So you were born a sinner. So it's automatic for you to sin. You see it in a little baby. You don't have to teach them to sin. You don't have to teach them to, to, to be stingy and, 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 and you know, you know they'll, I mean, they will be a toddler and they'll go, mine, and they'll take it. Isn't that precious? I, I taught her that. You didn't teach them that. They're, they It's on board. They know how to do it. They'll, they'll start showing you quick. They'll show you quick, I'm a sinner. They'll take what ain't theirs, act up, show up, show off. Why? Because they're little sinners. They're little sinners. They were born sinners. The Bible says Romans 5, look at this now, Romans 5, 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20. For, I want you to see it in the Bible so you know, Brother Delaney, out here making this stuff up. Ah, he's a grace preacher. You know what? I, yeah, I am. I'm a Bible preacher. For as by one, everybody say one man's disobedience, many were, past tense, made sinners. Right there it is. it, it, it don't get any clear in that. They were made sinners, comma. So also by one, now we got capital man's obedience, many will be if they'll put their faith in him, be made what? Righteous. Now listen, here you go. If you can believe that you were made a sinner by someone else's sin, then why don't you believe that you've been made righteous by somebody else's righteousness? See, that sin, the reason I'm a sinner because I was born in that. And the only way you can get free from that birth is to be born again. <laughs> Adam's righteousness was accredited to my account. I mean, Adam's sin was accredited to my account. And therefore, I was called a sinner because of what he did. The last Adam, his righteousness was accredited to my account. And now I'm the righteousness of God in him because of what he did. I didn't get my sin from Dale, I got it from Adam. But I didn't get my righteousness from Dale, I got it from Jesus. Come on, somebody. If you can believe the one, you got to believe the other. That's the point Paul's making here. Paul's saying if you realize that you were made a sinner, not by your sin, but by what Adam's disobedience, then you can believe that now you have been made the righteousness of God, not by what you've done, but by what Jesus has done on the cross. And you live like that. That's why it's so wrong for people to grow up in church. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You are not that no more. That's a wrong confession. That's a blasphemous confession. That's saying the blood of Jesus left you the same. You were a sinner before you met him and you're still a sinner after you met him. What good did it do you? You're not a sinner anymore. Do you sin? Yes, but you're not good at it no more. You're not good at it. You don't enjoy it when you do it, do you? You don't go around and brag about it, do you? You don't go, man, I'm going to go home today and sin a bunch. If, you're, if, you, if that's you, you've been fooled. You ain't born again. But if you've been born from above, you are now the righteous of God, and sin is not your default no more. You do not have a sin nature. You are now a partaker of his divine nature. Through the spirit. It's not who you are. Stop living like a hypocrite. Live out of the truth that now you're the righteous of God. So act righteous. Act like you are what you are. You're not good at sinning no more. You don't enjoy it. You're capable. You're not good no. It grieves your heart. It grieves the spirit. It don't feel normal. It's not your normal anymore. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You've got a new nature. You've got a new purpose. You've got a new destiny. You're registered in heaven. I thought we sung that this morning. You are a citizen of heaven. This is my favorite stuff to preach. Let's read Romans 19 and 20 again. One man's disobedience, they were made sinners. One man's obedience, Jesus, you were made righteous. Moreover, the law entered. This is why God even never gave the law, that the offense might abound, so that it would be clear that you couldn't save yourself. You could never live good enough to go to heaven. But where sin abounded, what? Grace abounded. Paul said much more. Now, the Greek here is... Superabound, Paul said, grace superabounded, or uh, sometimes there's a word that circulates, and and sometimes you'll hear people, maybe you, your friends that go to another church. Sometimes they may say, "Well, that's a hyper grace." If you ever hear the word hyper grace, nine point nine times out of ten, they're being negative. They're 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 mocking. Oh, that's a hyper grace. You doggone right, it's hyper grace. That means grace is above everything. Grace is higher than anything. Paul said grace, where sin abounds, grace superabounds." It actually is a Greek word that means far above. Grace is more powerful than the sin. And and, and so, but to call grace hyper, that's a hyper grace. That's to say God's good, but he ain't that good. Same thing. Oh, God's good. Yeah, God's good, but he's not good that good. He's not hyper good. God's love, but he's not hyper love. Are you kidding me? Sure he's hyper love. He's hyper good. He's hyper grace. Amen? People who don't understand what grace really is or who grace really is, they will they, either misuse it or they will attack it. And, and, and I want to tell you, grace for me was a, was a revelation. That's the only way I can describe it to you. It was a revelation of God's absolute acceptance of me. Um, it was like the old song we used to say in the altar calls, just as I am, without one plea. I got nothing to say. Just as I am, God said, I'll take you. Because I'm going to take you like you are, but I ain't going to leave you like you are. <laughs> Come on now. It, you know, it's the realization and the revelation that I am completely forgiven. And I want to tell you that is key to living this life in abundance. Paul talked about that. He said that, that if you would just receive the abundance of God's grace, that you, 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 you would live this life in a different way. And, and, but you have to settle the issue with, about Sin. You have to settle the issue that sin has been dealt with on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. He literally did what he said and did not lie. He took away the sin of the world. And when he said it is finished, he really meant it was finished. He really meant it. And now you he, he is not angry with you. And the problems you're having in your everyday life is because we're not in heaven yet. And there is a devil loose on the planet who has an agenda to steal, kill, and destroy But God is not mad with you. God is not against you. God didn't take your wife, your life, your baby, your car, your job, or your money. God's not trying to make you pay back. What a blasphemous thing for any believer to try to pay God back. And this is how the church words it. All right, Jesus gave his life for you on the cross. What are you going to give for him? What will you do for him? That is so wrong to put people in that kind of a thought pattern. It is blasphemous for you to ever. See, because if you try to pay God back, then it's not grace. If you owe God. There's some of these old songs, I'm sorry. All to him I owe. You don't owe God nothing. All to him I owe. You don't owe God anything. God didn't do it so you would owe him. He did it because he loved you. For God so loved the world. That's why he did it. Well, aren't we supposed to serve God if you want to? Save to serve. Really. I mean, I've told you this story before, but my kids, say, all grown and i got grandbabies now. But I remember one time I was telling them some of them, my boys to do something, you know, go out to the barn, do this, do that. And they was getting, they was getting mad with me. You know, they, we, we had, we lived, we lived I raised them, them boys in the country, you know. We had about eight, 18 acres to mow. We had wood to cut so that we'd, in the wintertime, we'd have firewood for the fireplace. I mean, we had heat, central heat if we wanted, but I like that fireplace. And they'd be out there splitting wood with me. You know, we had a log splitter. My God, come on, just pick the log up and set it on there. But they didn't like, have, they just didn't like, like, I remember my youngest, talking about, Man, when I get, I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to have asphalt for my yard and paint it green. Didn't he? <laughs> Brother Austin he said I'll never have a real wood burning fireplace when I get grown what kind of fireplace he got in his house right now wood burning fireplace I mean one day they, one of them got mad with me said so I believe the only reason you had us is so we could work for you I just busted out laughing <laughs> so you ha- I had you so you could work for me I said, let me tell you how much it costs me to have you. (laughs) It's it's about about $500 an hour. (laughs) That's how some Christians look at God. Well, God just saved me so I could serve him. See, I used to see my Bible reading, my prayer time, uh, all, all the things I would do or sacrifice, really, honestly now, those things placed me in a better standing with God in my mind. It was like brownie points. It was, I felt better about Dell the days that I had fasted or prayed a lot or read a lot of chapters in my Bible. And I felt like on that day, God liked me better than he did on the days that I didn't read my Bible. And I waved at somebody while I drove my car with one finger because they cut me off. And I talked about their mama. And I didn't feel close to God that moment. And I didn't feel God liked me very much that day. That is the picture that religion will do to you. And so grace came to me as a revelation that God loves me the same. Because God's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's love doesn't fluctuate and go up and down. And God doesn't sit in a swivel chair and have his face to me at one moment and I say and he turns his back to me the next moment. And now God's pouting until I say I'm sorry. And then I say, God, I'm sorry. And now God turns around and be nice to me again. That's not what God does. Now, I still pray. And I still read my Bible. And I still do those things. But no longer now do I do them because I feel obligated, And I don't do them to feel like it puts me in a better position because I cannot get in a better position with God than Jesus placed me in. I no longer have to try to impress God. I have someone who impresses God for me. His name is Jesus. Amen. And God's not going to get more impressed with me than he is with Jesus. And now God put me in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. See, it's not being in church that saves you. It's being in Christ that saves you. And I'm in Christ now so that he could treat me like Christ. It's a real good deal. That's what grace would do. It'll make you enjoy your salvation experience. See, before grace came along, to me it was more head theological kind of deal and not very much experiential. But now... It's a relationship. It's experiential. And I just enjoy it better. I enjoy being a Christian better. I, I don't labor under that heavy, prayers work, Brother Dale. It's hard work. And I used to get up a lot of time. My wife, I'd get up 4.30 in the morning. For Probably a year or two, I went, got up at 5.30 every morning, went and prayed to be there at 5.30. Got up at 5 o'clock. And I thought the prayers were more powerful at 5.30 a.m. And I felt like I'd really done something. 5.30. My body, I just had to drag it out to bed. Let's go pray. (laughs) It it was brutal. And I had to walk and pray because if I stopped and got still, I fell back to sleep. That's not, I can sleep at the house. (laughs) I used to get up and go to my entire church. And I wasn't a pastor. I just was, that was my church. But the pastor had me a key I'd go to, And I thought God honored my prayer better at 5.30 a.m. than he did at 5.30 p.m. Because it was hurting me to be there at 5.30 a.m. I was sacrificing. I'm not saying there's no sacrifice. And there's always power in sacrifice. But the sacrifice must be done for the proper motive and reason. I love my wife and I do a lot of things for her. Don't know about the girl. And I help out and I do a lot of things. But I don't do it because I'm trying to pay her back for being my wife. I'm doing it out of my love. that's what we do now. The works that we do now, we do them out of our love and relationship with God. I want to serve the Lord. I want to labor for the Lord. I want to do those kindness and benevolent things. And and I want to display those things because the Bible says it's good for sinners to see our kindness and they will give God the glory. I want to do all those things, but I'm not doing it to put me partially in a better position with God than grace has placed me in. Does that make sense? And, and, and it's just a different way of looking at it. And, and, I'm, you know, I, man, and I'm, I, I'm not mad any longer, <laughs> but I used to feel so ripped off. Like, man, I wish I, wish I had them a few decades back. I, you know, in my mind, i just blame God if I was having stuff coming down on me and I, I thought God was paying me back for some, you know, previous something. You know, the rough things I was suffering, I deserved it. That's just it's not who God is. And yet we live in a society and a culture in America where the, the airways, the media, the uh, social media, every you know, we, we have preachers galore that with every hurricane, every destructive thing that happens that God's judging America. And they'll tell you God's judging, you know, and they, and they come up with all this stuff. And a lot of people, they, they like that. They buy into it. They want God to get certain people. Get them. Because it ain't coming to your house, that's Why? But it's amazing, you don't ever want God to get you. But you want God to get everybody else. Why don't he ever get you while he's getting? So that's what, this, this is the difference with the grace, with the, with the message of grace. And when I preach the, the, the grace of God, it's not so much that I feel that I'm explaining it as much as I'm proclaiming it. Uh, I'm making an announcement of good news is how I feel on Sundays Uh, and and this is the announcement you're forgiven you're loved God's already reconciled your your sin problem all you got to do now is believe in him and be reconciled to him because he already reconciled your sin issue and it's not an issue except in your own head and in the head of religious people Is that in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, 20, and 21. Let's see what it says about reconciliation. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ. Yes, he's talking about the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world. To who? To himself. How, did, how does God's reconciliation look? How did he accomplish that? What, what, is, what does that mean? God reconciled the world to himself. It's going to tell you. This is how he did it. Not imputing. that The word imputing means to didn't keep a record of. He didn't, he didn't attribute it to. He didn't uh, account. It's an accounting word. He said not imputing what? Their trespasses, their sins to them. And, and so God said, I'm not keeping up with any of your sins I have not got a sin log on you. Your sin account has a zero balance. Always. Even if I sinned five seconds ago, still zero balance. Why? Because God is the God who lives outside of time and on the cross he forgave all sin. You mean my future sins? Yes, all sin. Wait now. Even the ones I ain't done yet, I'm forgiven. Yep. You are. Well, I don't believe in that future forgiveness of sin. All right, well, you lost then. You bound for hell. See you later. Because all your sins were future before the 2,000 years ago. And that's when Jesus brought about forgiveness. So if you, there ain't no such thing as future forgiveness, then all of us is lost. And we're waiting on the second cross crucifixion. Take care of our deal. You don't believe that, do you? Well, stop saying you won't believe in future forgiveness. Then. See, when I got married to her, forty years ago, we dumb as we didn't know. I mean, we ain't got it all figured out yet, but we sure didn't know. You know, what I what was I? Twenty one. You nineteen. But I didn't realize that covenant that we were making before God and everybody. You know, we we were believers. But literally, what I was doing was saying to her by that covenant, because in in the covenant, I said, I'll never, you know, we will till death do us part, in other words, right? Sickness, health, you know, rich or poor, we did all that deal, till death do us part. So I was saying the only thing that would ever separate us is death. And she said the same thing back. That was nice. So we're in a covenant. So you got to know now that you've lived a while that what we were really saying was, I go ahead and advance you forgiveness. Because I already know you're going to screw up. You're going to hurt me. There's times you're going to really hurt me and you're going to really mess up and it's gonna, you're going to hurt me, but, I, I, but I'm not going to leave you because you do that. Because I told you the only reason I leave you is death takes me. So, other than death coming, I'm yours. Isn't that right? Now, imagine me, somebody who saw us get married, they heard the covenant, they go, you know, or even somebody comes by 10 years later, say, man, you know, that woman loves you. Man, she loves you. I'm going, she loves you. And and she said she already promised you with a vow and an oath, covenant before God, that she ain't going to, the only thing take you from her or her from you is death. So you know what that means, preacher? That means you can sleep with as many women as you want to, bro. You go get your freak on. Because she already said she ain't going to leave you. What would y'all, I mean, that's what you're saying. She doesn't say she ain't going to leave you. You can do what you want to, brother. Now, I'm just trying to let that marinate in there for a second. Because that's what people accuse me of in the grace message. Okay, now that Jesus loves you and God loves you so much and he saved you and he's in a covenant with you, you can sin like crazy. Because he already told you he can never leave you, forsake you, be with y'all. So just go sin like crazy. See, that her, there's never a time that her, her love towards me has made me go, man, she loves me so much I want to go sin. See, if you view this thing right, this is your answer to you stopping sinning, is Grace. This ain't the means by which you do it. This is the power that overcomes it. It's a new life, new identity, new creation. Satan don't get you all distracted over here. I told you. I know. I say these same things over and over, but I like them. Be like somebody trying to overcome their, you know, sweet, you know, sweet tooth. I always want to eat sweets. So you got to overcome that, brother. And here's how you overcome it. Just stare at chocolate pie. That's not going to help you overcome eating sweets. Neither is making sin your focus when you're trying to overcome sin. The Bible tells you how to overcome sin. Lay aside every sin and the weight that so easily besets you. How, comma, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You focus on Jesus because what you won't see looking at Jesus is sin. You don't make sin the issue. What do you confess? Confess sin? No, how about confess? You've confessed sin all your life. How's that worked out for you? How about confessing Jesus and the power of the cross and the power of the blood of Jesus? How about confessing that for a while? Well, can't I talk to God about sin? Yeah, talk to him about it, but don't waller in it. Because G- God's going to say, I already handled that 2,000 years ago. Let's move on to something else. Amen. You're the only one got that thing blowed up in your head like you. I'm addicted. We're all addicted to something. <laughs> <laughs> y'all know y'all addicted when you walk past that dairy case and that ice cream in there. The bubbly, that blue like they'll psh, off me, man. Butter pecan. <laughs> I'm calling you, man. <laughs> I, anyway, I done derailed myself. 2 Corinthians five nineteen said that, that God was in Christ. He was reconciling the world to himself. How did he do it? Not counting your trespasses against you. And then he's committed to us this word of reconciliation oh my god he gave that to you god said this is what i did this is how i did it now i give you that message go tell them and look in verse 20 now then now then now what now after what i just said now then we are ambassadors for christ you're an ambassador for christ as though god was pleading through you with this message we implore you on christ's behalf Be reconciled to God because he already reconciled himself to you. Be reconciled to God. Look, because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He did it for us that we might what? Become the righteous of God in him. When did this reconciliation take place? Romans 5 and 10. Romans 5 and 10 says this. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled. When did God reconcile you? When you came to the altar? Mm-mm. Well, you were an enemy. When you were an enemy, God said, I already reconciled you to God. How did I do it? Through the death of his son. Much more. Having been reconciled. If you've already been reconciled, since not the issue, you'll be saved by his What? You're not saved by his forgiveness because everybody's got that. But you're saved by his life. G, G, he said, I have come that they might have life because that's what they need. That's what this world needs. That's what every individual needs is we need life. And I told you this last Sunday. And i say it again because it's that good. Who is the only person whose life has no ending? Jesus, who's the only person and everybody gets out, but who's the only person whose life has no beginning? Jesus, God, there's no beginning. God don't have a birthday. Don't ask me to explain that. I just believe it. I can't explain it. God's life has no beginning. That's that's God's life. That's eternal life. That's zoe. It's called the Greek word zoe, God's life. So when you get born again, God gave you life. But don't think of it as just God reached on the shelf. God gave you his life. So now your life has no ending because it has no beginning. You will not wear a watch, not even an Apple watch, in heaven. We will not know when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. But you won't know you've been there 10,000 years because you won't be there 10,000 years because they won't be years. They will be only day because there shall be no night there. You won't go, I am so tired. I need to go sit down by the river of life and put my feet in there. I want to get down over yonder and sit down over yonder and rest a little while. It's like you, you got the mentality when you, you know, like you're going to arrive to heaven like it gets wore out, just tired. Whew, I barely made it, y'all. I am so tired. Where is the river of life where I can sit down and rest my feet? I am wore out, child. You ain't going to arrive to heaven tired. That's why you don't need to sit down over yonder and rest a little while. <laughs> you're going to have a glorified body just like Jesus is. I, I, it's, it's bone and, 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 flesh and yet you can walk through walls. I plan on trying that out a few thousand times myself. I, I just want to like think and then I'll be somewhere else. <laughs> and this will just blow your mind. This thing, I ain't no Bible for this, so I need to be quiet. But I want to tell you something that I do know about Papa God. He never made anything, created anything without a purpose. You and I may not know what the purpose is, but I promise you God's got one. And anybody know the name of the galaxy that we live in, the earth is in? What's it called? See, it's just a Milky Way. It's just getting started. It's just the Milky Way. And they say with the Hubble telescope and all that stuff, as far out as they can see, galaxies are coming this way. This will get your head hurting here. But every planet and every solar system and everything God's ever made, he made it with a purpose. And God is so much bigger than our minds can even imagine. And God's got purposes. And you're going to rule and reign with him. Our minds just cannot, you know, it's not entering into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Comma, most people quit quoting. But, next verse says, he has revealed them unto us by his spirit. What grace did for me, and I'm ending with this statement, is it, it stopped me from always taking my own temperature, trying to see if I was right with God in that moment or in that day. Now I know I'm right with God every day. And I've been made right not by my performance but by Jesus's, not by my obedience because I'm not always obedient, but Jesus was always obedient even to the point of the death of the cross, and his obedience now has been a credit to my account, so when God looks at my account, it says obedient, when God looks at my account, it says righteous, how righteous, just as righteous as God is, because as he is, 1 John, in as he is now, as he is, so are we in this world, how is he now, righteous, that's how we are, even in this world, you're righteous. It's called grace. It's been accredited to you. Imputed and imparted. God did not impute your sin, impart your sin, but he imputed the righteousness of his son to you. And if you will live out of that truth, you, you will live your life differently. And you'll still, you know, probably, you know, blow it, sin. I really, i told sold you this lot. I don't think, you know, you circle it in red on the calendar, you know, like three months from now on this day, I'm going to get off the chain. I'm going to sin. You got a problem. I'm not saying you're not born again, but you don't understand something. You need some help. You need to talk to somebody. Okay? We sin. Most of us don't have it scheduled. Right? And, and it don't make you feel good. Does it? I mean, it don't make me feel good to sin. I mean, I can tell it, it makes me feel bad. It grieves me. Do, do you understand that sin is not normal for even humans? Now, you know, think about it like this. How does a polygraph reveal liars? I mean, how does that even work? In other words, if you're just born to lie, then the polygraph machine would be absolutely useless. But you could just, you could strap a blood pressure cuff and a heart monitor and a perspiration measurer on a person. It's not technical. And set them in a chair and look them in the eye, and ask them questions. And when they lie, their body tells on them. I mean, He's lying. Do, 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 that Your heart speeds up. He's lying, he's lying, he's lying, He lying. And the guy's sitting there going, ooh, I marked this. That's where he told a lie. Ask more. Oh, look at, oh, he's sweating now. He's lying. I'm trying just to get you to see. Sin not normal for you it's not it's not who you are it's not who you were created to be God created you in his likeness and his image God ain't got nothing to do with sin but God did something with sin he reconciled the sin problem to himself by not imputing those trespasses against you so you don't ever again have to worry that God's mad with you God's angry with you God's upset and you're going to hear the preachers always hollering that he is and this is why bad things happen and this is why this happened to you. You know, I pray to God I've sat with my last couple that have gone through some tragedy or some death or something or lost a little child and tell me that they believe God's paying them back for being sexually promiscuous when they were teenagers. I hope I've sat through my last meeting like that because I've sat through many of them. And I sat through them as a young preacher that didn't have enough sense telling me wasn't because I didn't know. Didn't know. I did not have the theology or the understanding of grace that we are totally forgiven, that God has wiped away the sin of the world. He has reconciled it unto himself. Now, all he wants man to do, listen, I've took care of that big obstacle everybody says. Now, all I want you to do is believe that I did through my death on the cross and be reconciled to me because I'm already reconciled with you. I'm good with you. All I want you to do is be good with me, and put your faith in me, and I'll pay pay the price of, of your life. I mean, I'll give you life. I'll give you my life. And, 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 and so that's what you and I have the privilege of now. Now, listen, if we really understood that message, to not try to explain as much as proclaim it, good news. Do you understand how this world out here so desperately needs to hear that? Because, you know, in their minds, they think that, that God's mad with them because they've not been a good person. That's why sin is so radical. And the church is terrified, really, of it. And if you want to see the picture of what sin does, I mean, what grace does with sin, all you have to do is go to Jesus with the parable of the, of the, you know, the prodigal son is. Some people call it, don't call it that in the Bible. And so here's this boy. He really wants his daddy dead. He's like, I'm mad because you're still alive, and I can't wait for you to die to give me my money now, pay me now. He ain't even the oldest. The daddy loves him so much, he gives it to him. You don't think that daddy had enough sense to know what he was going to do with it? And, then he, and it's so clear. He goes to a far country, riotous living, women, wine, song, burns through all the inheritance of his dad's inheritance to him, hadn't got nothing, lost everything in the pig pen. Okay? He's not going to go back home because he misses Papa. Ain't what the Bible says. He just wanted to go back home so he could eat. A lot of people come back to God not because they love God, because they just don't have nowhere else to go. They're going to try God. But he comes back and he says, I just want to go back, tell my daddy I'm sorry, and let make me less one of the hired servants, for they eat better than I'm eating. All he wanted was food, clothing, and shelter. So he rehearsed his speech, and on his way back home, said the father was looking for him never saw him. Looked for him. Never saw him. Looked for him. But every day the father looked for him. And when he saw that son, he ran to him. And the Bible said he fell upon his neck and kissed him. Now this old boy still smells like a hog pen. He fell upon him and kissed him. And here comes the speech. Daddy, Daddy wouldn't let him talk. Because if you're going to work for me and pay me back, then it ain't Grace. And the Bible said that, you know, okay, here we get the best robe, we get the ring, we get the shoes, okay? Because slaves didn't have shoes. What do you think, who, who, do you think, who do you think in that house wore the best robe? Daddy. Can't you see Daddy taking his robe off right there, putting it on his son? What did God do for you? He took his righteousness and clothed you with him. He said, you're no longer a slave nor a servant. He gave you shoes to wear. He gave you authority and a ring to bind and purchase and do whatever. And he said, let's have a party. Let's get our party on. You were dead. See there? It ain't that boy come home and need forgiveness. Dead, but now you're alive. Throw a party. Kill the fatty calf. Let's get it on. The church don't like that. It looks like he got away with murder. He didn't even get punished. He didn't even get put on probation. He should have had to sit down for so many weeks and do this and that. See all the rules they come up with? Law, law, mixture, law, law. And the older son, he didn't like it either. The Bible said he wouldn't come in to the party. So I love this phrase, and it says, so the father went out. It says the oldest refused to come in, so the father went out. Ooh, that's good. And the father went out and said, son, listen, man, won't you? I mean, your brother's home. Come on, let's party. you get in the party? He said, I've, 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 I've worked for you all my life. You ain't never told me no party. He said, son, everything I have is yours. You just ain't got no sense of knowing. See, that's your problem. You think you're working for me. See, a lot of people go to church because they think they're working for God. He says, son, it's yours. You don't, you don't work for this. you got this by inheritance. It's all yours. You can kill a calf any day. You can kill one every day. It's just because you're religious. In the Jewish culture, the old patriarch father, when a son would go AWOL, this is a fact. In Jewish culture, the responsibility to go look for that son was the eldest brother. It was not to place the patriarch in, in harm's way, the patriarch was to stay home like when David went to battle one time when he was an old king and he almost died on the field and they said, you'll never go out to the battlefield again, David. It's not right for you to be there as a patriarch, the commander of this army. We'll go, we'll fight. So Papa shouldn't have went and searched. It was the elder brother responsibility to go find his brother, his younger brother, his rebellious brother, but he didn't do it because he didn't love him like he should have. But I want to tell you, when we all rebelled against God, Papa stayed home, but our elder brother left the house and came looking for us. (laughs) He came looking for us. And he sought us out, and he found us. Just like that lost sheep, put us on his own shoulders and brought us back to Papa. And he said in his prayer in John 17, last earthly prayer Jesus ever prayed, he said, all those that you gave me have I brought back to you, Father. That's what God does. That's what grace does. Amen? You don't get tired of hearing this, do you? I sure don't get tired of preaching it. And there's so many people, this world needs to hear, hey, you're already reconciled to God. Let me tell you how that happened. God's not mad with you. All you got to do is believe. Believe in the good news. Put your faith in his son and sacrifice. You're saved. How about confessing Jesus? You've confessed your sins, and over and over, and you've just confessed them every day. How about confessing Jesus for a while? Let's see how that works out. Confess the power that's in his name. Remember that old song we used to sing in church when I was a little boy? They'd sing, power in the blood, power in the blood. One, the work in power in the blood of the Lamb. Boy, they sung that almost every Sunday, too, in my church. Man got in our church said, man, I'm telling you, we feel full of the Holy Ghost. There's a mosquito bites you. He should fly off singing. this power, power, one, to work in power. He said, that's how <laughs> much Holy Ghost we've got to have. The blood of Jesus rolls through us. Amen. Stand with me. Let's pray. Man, if you don't know this, then believe in Jesus that he paid it all. There's, if he paid it all, how much you got left to pay? Okay. If you want to make people mad, preach the law to them. If you want to really, really make them mad, preach grace. Because the law tells them you've got to got to do this, you got to do this, you can't do that. That will make them mad. But this is why they get really mad with grace, because grace tells them you can't do nothing. Nope, ain't nothing you can do. It's all been done. Just believe. You mean what? Nothing to do. And let me tell you something. Even though we get accused of this, it don't make for lazy Christians. Well, if there's nothing to do, what do we do? Just live out of that relationship. There will be plenty to do. There's people that need to know that how much God loves them. There are people that need to know God's reconciled their sin problem. There's people that need to know that that's not your issue. You have made that a demigod in your life, and you have exalted sin above the blood of Jesus. When I was a young pastor, young evangelist, people would come to the altar, and they'd say, Brother, like, God can't forgive me. Why can't he? You don't know what I've done. You don't know what kind of life I've lived. And I used to do the Bless Me Heart Club. Well, bless your heart, God. Now, when I, I'm older now, if somebody does that, and i has been a long time, but if they do that, and I've done this, when they say God can't forgive me, Bro I go as soon as, as, soon as they say that to me. If it's in my office or if it's in the altar, this is what I say. I say, How dare you? I just go, I just go rogue on them. And they're, <laughs> I say, How dare you? And that boy, they will look at you then. How dare you exalt your sin over the blood of Jesus Christ? How dare you make your sin stronger, more powerful than the precious, spotless, sinless blood of Jesus Christ? Well, that's, no, I'm not. That's exactly what you're doing. His blood removed the sin of the world, which included yours. All sin was removed by the blood of Jesus. You believe that? Be reconciled to God because he's reconciled himself to you through his son. He's not keeping the record of your sins, so don't say the Holy Ghost convicted me of my sin. That's your conscience. It's a good thing to have one. That's one reason it's on board. But God's not turning around lying, saying, I won't keep up with none of your sins, yet I'll keep up with them and remind you of them. God will never remind you of your sin. He will remind you of your new birth. He will remind you of your righteousness. He will remind you of the cross and what his son accomplished. He will not remind you of your sins. Satan will. He will bring them up to you every day. He will bring your failures back up in your mind every moment. If you allow to listen to the video, he will play it for you. He will always remind you of your failures. That's not God doing that. Don't get churchy on it and religious. God's not doing that. God will remind you of your birth, of your new life in him. That's what God's going to remind you of. Amen? Amen. Father, I love you. We're loved by you. So thankful for your grace. Thankful for your great love to us that while we were yet sinners, you would die for us. So I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that every person that hears this message, they will stop trying to save themselves and just allow you to do it. To realize their sin is not the issue. Their belief is what the issue is. May they believe upon you, trust you, believe in your heart that you died, was buried and resurrected, and that you have reconciled the sin of the world to yourself so that you could bring your children home. We pray that. We believe that. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you.